Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Father, we do thank you. We do praise you for your word, Father. And I do pray that you would uh, give us the ability to uh, stand up for you, Father, not to be a coward, but to trust in you, Father, that uh, we would be uh, bold, Father, where we need to be bold. Father, I pray that we would learn the lessons here tonight, Father, we'd learn them well. And uh, that we would remember, Father, the, the schemes of the enemy, Father, that are trying to uh, destroy us and rip us apart, Father. Uh, help us to be wise, Father, as serpents, so that we would be uh, able to be gentle as doves and harmless as doves. We just pray that you would help us to be your servants, Father, in this day and age where it's a very wicked and perverse generation. Uh, Father, we do thank you, we praise you, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, you're not familiar with the book of Revelation. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is starting off with a vivid picture of himself in chapter 1, as you see him in his glorified body. But you also get to see, as in the first part of the book of Revelation, you're seeing that Jesus is writing a letter to seven churches. In each side of one, in, in each of these seven churches, he's writing something good and something bad for the most part. And within that, you're seeing that he's trying to encourage these seven churches that are in, uh, you know, there could be a specific church that is there in uh, Asia Minor. But it's also something where people could say it's speaking to the church and even to us as well. There might be, let's say, seven different aspects of our life. And each one of these churches kind of addresses a, an aspect, if you would, in our life. But um, uh, he's writing to this church in Thyatira, uh, which means continual sacrifice. And uh, he's there and he wants to get this message across to this church. And he says, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, 2.18, it says, the, the Son of God, and he's declaring his authority there, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this. So here's Jesus. He's speaking, and he's saying, I see everything. I've got eyes of flame and fire. I can see right through your lies. And he says, I know your deeds, and your love, and your faith, and your service and perseverance. Good church. And that your deeds of late are greater than at first. So they're growing. They're maturing. They're, they're an improving church. He says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. And that's our key, because we're going to go through the life of Jezebel. We want to look at Jezebel. We want to ask ourselves some questions on what makes Jezebel such a bad woman that she's mentioned here in the book of Revelation. It says, I have this against you, that you tolerate her. You tolerate this woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she doesn't want to repent of her immorality. 
Behold, I will cast her upon a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know. They're going to know for sure that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deed. And so you're watching Jesus. He's writing this letter. He's trying to encourage a church. And he's saying, church, at Thyatira, you're good. Oh, you're good, 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 good. But I don't like what's happening with this Jezebel. This teaching of Jezebel is coming in. And notice the word there is to tolerate this woman of Jezebel. So you'd find that if you go back in history, and as we're looking at the life of Elijah, we want to look at Jezebel and say, what is so wrong with Jezebel? What does Jezebel teach? What's the problem with a Jezebel? And if you search, we're going through. Now we can go back to our text. Keep that in the back of your mind as we're going to be looking at this. And, and we're going to say, Elijah was a man that was suffering with Jezebel. Jezebel was, was uh, as we know, she at least she was somebody that was the... Uh, the Sidian king's daughter is who she was. She married Ahab, the king of Israel, and she was bringing in the worship of Baal, uh, idolatry. Uh, Baal, for the most part, would be the big bull statue, I guess, and, you know, and uh, it was a fertility god. If you wanted the land to be fertile, if you to be fertile, you would make sacrifices to Baal. It was a uh, they had uh, talks about in a Hosea where they would run around and kiss, you know, Baal. It was this big idol and you would kiss and pay homage to Baal. And if you got this, then it would rain and blah, 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 blah. So we know that she was bringing this idolatry into the land of Israel. But if you take that aside, we get one good shot at what she's doing that scares me. And we get this into chapter 21 of 1 Kings, which is where we're picking up the text. And we're going to see Jezebel. She's going to do something very wicked. And I believe that this is a very central story to the Bible. Chapter 21. You're going to watch that this is going to be a fight over a vineyard. Over, over a parcel of ground, there's going to be a fight. So let's read through the story and not get too far ahead of ourselves. Then we can dissect it and look at it from there. But for the story, it says, now we come to verse, or chapter 21, verse 1. It says, now it came about after these things. All the things of the, you know, Elijah and her having a big confrontation. All the things that was going on to uh, bring this together. It says, after these things, that Naboth, and this is our first introduction to Naboth. We've never heard of him before in the Bible. He pops up and, and he says, and he was a Jezreelite. Now for us to understand, there's the Valley of Jezreel. Jezreel, for the most intensive purposes, is the best parcel of property in the promised land that has the most luscious, the, 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 the biggest grapes. It has all the fruit. It has everything. If you could look at anything and say, this is the best of the promised land, that's milk and honey, because obviously there are parts of it that's desert and drought and there's mountaintops and you can't grow things. This is where you want to grow something. Out of all the promised land, Jezreel, which is right in the middle of northern Israel up there, is, is prime property. And he, it says, this guy Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard. 
which was in Jezreel, beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So he's got the king for a neighbor. Figure he's doing pretty good. He's got a prime piece of property. And Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard. Hey, I want your piece of property. He says, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is close beside my house. Because it is uh, close beside my house and I will give you a better vineyard than it in its place. If you like, I will give you the price of it in money. So Ahab's looking out in the garden he's got and he sees that his neighbor's got the, the greener grass on the other side of the fence and it's Nabus. And he says, this is what I want. Hey, I want to buy it. Uh, I'll try and trade you for it. Uh, uh, what is it going to take to get the piece of property? And Nabus said to Ahab, Oh, no, the Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance, key word there, of my father's. And that's where he's saying, look, the, the, the family farm's been in the family, you know, and, and this is the way God set it up that the Jews, when they entered into the promised land, that uh, there are certain tribes that were supposed to be sectioned off, and then there were certain families that got other pieces of property, and then that property was always supposed to be in the family. And it was always supposed to be owned by Jews if it was the promised land. And so he's calling. He says, this is my inheritance. I don't want to give up my inheritance. So Ahab, he turns around and he gets rejected. And so Ahab came into his house. He was sullen and and vexed and he's crying. He's got to throw a little pity party. He says, because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my father's. And he lay down on his bed, and he turned away his face and ate no food. So now here's king, pouting and crying. Now Queen Jezebel shows up. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him, and he said to him, you could just see her, she's kind of got this hag. How is it that your spirit is so sullen that you are not eating food? What's wrong with you? And he said to her, well, I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and, and he said to me, give me your vineyard for money or else if it is pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in this place. But he said, no, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, do you not now reign over Israel? Can you see her? She's going, look, dude, you're the king. Kings get whatever they want. What are you talking about? You're crying over, you know, your neighbor. Do you not now reign over Israel? Arise, eat bread, and let your heart be joyful. I, here's Jezebel, will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So her little brain starts a scheming. So this is what she does. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name. Interesting. And sealed them with his seal and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living in uh, with Naboth in his city. So she's going to have a big, she writes them all letters, she's going to have a big party. And now she wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the people. We want everybody to be real spiritual. And set two worthless men before him and let them testify against him saying you cursed god and the king then take him out and stone him to death so interestingly enough there's a couple worthless men in the city so the men of of his city 
the elders and the nobles who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as it was written in the letters which she had, uh, had sent them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the people. Then the two worthless men came in and sat before him. And the worthless men testified against him, even against Naboth, and before the people saying, nah, 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 Naboth cursed God. And the king cursed God and the king, and they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with the stones. And then they sent word to Jezebel saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. So, all of a sudden, this is her little scheme. This is her little idea. This is how a Jezebel thinks. Jezebel was the one that said, I'm going to steal the inheritance so that my husband can get a piece of property. So you go, wow. What's Jezebel doing here that's so wicked? Sounds like she's setting him up. She's lying. And there's something here that we start to look at that bothers us. A Jezebel, for the most part, is going to be someone who uses, A, someone else's authority. She came up with the idea she wasn't the king herself, but she wrote letters in the king's name. She's someone, a Jezebel is someone who uses lackeys. I guess that would be the term. Worthless men that are good for nothing that will just do at her beck and will without thinking for themselves. But what bothers me about this is it's rather staggering. And I think the key to the whole passage here is that a Jezebel does notice Jezebel of herself. She could care less about God, Jehovah, right? She wants Baal. She wants everyone to worship their little golden bull. She doesn't want anything. She doesn't care anything about God, Jehovah, the God of Israel. She lives her life making a mockery of God, Jehovah, the God of Israel. Yet, notice what she does. Did you catch that? Jezebel likes to take the law. Thou shalt not blaspheme the Lord thy God. And if you blaspheme God, you're to be put to death. Notice how quick and how good she is at using the law to her advantage when she doesn't care about Jehovah, whether or not you blaspheme Jehovah or not. In a Jezebel, a Jezebel is someone who wants to use the law, listen to this, to crush and destroy a good man. Don't miss that. That's worth all the price of tea in Texas. If you can understand that in China. We'll quit picking on Texas. <laughs> so many times I cannot believe in how many people want to quote the law back to me. They love to rip and to attack and to pick things apart and to stand and condemn the believer. They want to condemn you. Satan loves to use the law to condemn you. 
A Jezebel is a wicked person, a crafty person who wants to create an idea to say, look, you're not keeping the law. You need to be stoned and put to death. Now, if you're not familiar with what the law is and where things go and what a Christian's supposed to be, a quick outline. God gave us the law. The law was just say for all intents and purposes is the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt do this, thou shalt do that, thou shalt do this, and you better not do this, you better not do this, and you better not do that. You could look at it as Ten Commandments. You could look at it as the 600 or whatever it is, 12 commandments that the Jews take as the full thing of the law. You could look at the law as uh, many different facets in, in, in your life. Uh, the law that could be the policeman. It could be a set of rules and guidelines. Uh, we have a legalistic system that we all live by, whether it be God's, man's, or whatever it may be. The law God gave us, God gave us the law. The purpose of the law, Romans 3.20, is to bring about the knowledge of sin. When we look at the law, we should sit down and say, you know, I think I'm good enough to go to heaven. And when I look at the law, I realize that I'm not. Right? That's the way the law should work. I should be able to turn around and say, God, I recognize the Ten Commandments. I can't keep them. I am a sinner worthy to go to hell for all time and space and dimension because I can't do what you ask me to do. The law, when it's used appropriately, is there to break us in order to us to fall to our knees, ask God for forgiveness. And at that point, God says, I will give you forgiveness and mercy. You are able to come into my kingdom because you are humble in heart, because you are a broken man and God wants to see us. Uh, 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 a contrite spirit inside of us. And hence, we now have an access to come to God through the law, and it's a very powerful tool that God has given us so that we're not filled with pride, we're not filled with arrogance. That's the proper use of the law. Jezebel's come up, and they use the law, God's gift to us, the law, and they use that to rip you apart and to put you down, to make you feel worse, right? And then if you're full of pride or whatever it may be, you're going to sit down there and uh, uh, feel condemnation. There is a difference between conviction and condemnation. God wants to convict us of our sins. The devil wants to condemn us of our sins. Jezebel wants to use it as a tool to rip us apart, to control us, to manipulate us, and to continue if we're not looking and understanding the things correctly. What the law is used for, it's going to use us to control us. Jezebels of this world, they teach, they use the law because they don't care about the law. They only want to put you down with it. And if they could use it for a loophole in it to kill you so that they can steal from you, then they laugh at you. And you can almost hear Jezebel saying throughout these pages, sucker. The enemy comes up to us. And what does the enemy love to do? And this is a very simple rule. It's a guide. It's, it's so good. The enemy, when the enemy comes into your life, the enemy always wants to remind you of your past. Right? He always wants to say, you think you're a Christian? You think you're going to go to heaven? Oh, I know what you did. You did this and you did this and you did this. I saw you the other day. You were doing this. You're not a Christian. You're a hypocrite. You're a phony. You're good for nothing. You know what? God told you never to do this. Blah, 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 blah. Satan's throwing it right in your face and you did it. 
you're not a very good person. Satan always reminds you of your past. He's using things out of your past to to condemn you, to control you. If the law is used appropriately, it should bring conviction. And what God always does is He always reminds us of our future. He always comes up and He says, Look where you're going. You've got to go to heaven. You've got the streets of gold. You've got all these things going on. You've got everything going good for you. Now, you know, put your life in order and look where you're going. And He never sits down and says, Oh, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you did this. You're not worthy of that. He always wants you to say, Look, if you can come to a place of being honest with yourself, then therefore you are going to be able to be set free and I'm going to forgive you, and I'm taking you home. We're always looking for the eternal hope of the future that lies within us as Christians. That, for us, listen to this, it gets pretty cool, that's our inheritance, isn't it? Naboth had an inheritance, right? He had a piece of property. We have an inheritance. We have uh, our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We have uh, a place in the pearly gates where everything's good and glorious. We have a city that's set aside for us. We have somewhere up in there, there is a home with your name on it saying, you get to go to heaven for forever. Jezebel's like to come in and say, I want to steal that inheritance from you. I want to rob you of your inheritance. And the way that she wants to rob you of your inheritance is she wants to sit down there, the devil, her, a Jezebel, however you'd like to coin the phrase, always wants to sit down and point, put you down and says, no, you're, you're an alcoholic, you're a loser, you're a wife beater, you're, you got an anger problem, you got this, you're, you do that wrong, and you, know, you, you lied when you were a little kid, and, and the guilt and the condemnation come upon us. And so we then, it's us, right? It's us who give up the reins to our inheritance and say, I'm going to lose it. I, 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 I guess I'm not worthy and I'm going to run and I'm going to be a chicken and bury my head in the sand and I'm going to uh, uh, not think about this and I'm not worthy to go to church and I shouldn't be in church and God doesn't really love me and so why should I even try? I'm just going to go and get drunk and forget about everything. And we are taken off track by the condemnation of a Jezebel who throws the law in our face when, oh gee, she doesn't even care about the law. And what? Us dumb, goody-two-shoe Christians, we slip right into that. We go, yeah, the law, the law. I'm not living the law, the law. And we have, we have people that don't care about the law throwing it in our faces to condemn us so that we give up the promises that are in front of us. That, to me, is the crime of the century. That, to me, is the most ironic thing that I could ever see. God has saying... I have a vineyard. And he looks at the vineyard. And, 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 and there's a lot of typology in the term the vineyard. It's the way coolest thing. If you think of the vineyard. A, a, a vineyard is, is, is a theme that runs through the Bible. It goes all the way back to, I guess you could trace it to the Psalms. David, King David talks about uh, the vineyard of the Lord. You can look at the vineyard in Isaiah chapter 5. It's a very clear representation of what the vineyard is. 
it says it says that here's god he's going to sing a song and he says i've got this beautiful vineyard this beautiful vineyard that i've set up and he talks about how he's he's pulled all the stones up so that he can have fertile soil he's taken the stones and he's built a wall around the vineyard so that you know things can't come in and steal and to rob he's putting a big wine vat right there in the middle of the vineyard so you could crush all the grapes and have a sweet glass of wine and god is saying that's me and at you know, if you go to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8, and all of a sudden he's going to say, and, and Israel is the vineyard, and the people are the choice vines within that. And you could look at it and take it all the way back if you want to and see that, uh, you know, God had a vineyard, the Garden of Eden. And what did he plant in the Garden of Eden? It stuck good old Adam in it. And he says, watch what I'm going to grow. And God, throughout all the, you know, look at all the, the, the proverb or parables that are out there. And in all the parables, Jesus is always talking about. He says, hey, there's a vineyard owner. The vineyard owner will run away. And he put other people in charge of it. And as he goes away, he comes back and he's exposed to get the produce of the field. And you're seeing Jesus repeatedly use the, the imagery of a vineyard. And the world then becomes the vineyard where God is trying to plant you and I to produce grapes. And that is our inheritance in the Lord is that we can stand for him. And Satan is always trying to come up. The the teaching of Jezebel wants to come up and destroy and uproot and, and, and hack the vineyard to pieces. Satan wants to level the whole thing and says, I don't want to see any grapes in here. If I can't have it, he is the old sour grape story, then I'm going to get rid of everything. And what's on the line then is our inheritance. Our inheritance is on the line. We have our inheritance with, with our, our heavenly inheritance. We have our eternal salvation as an inheritance. And there are Jezebels that want to use the law of all things to destroy God's people. And that's exactly the game plan of a Jezebel. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in, in Revelation chapter 5. And, and he's saying, you have to be careful of a Jezebel. And notice what we said the key word was there. That they tolerated a Jezebel. So if we wanted to coin a phrase with Jezebels, we could call her someone who's legalistic. Someone, when we use that term, is someone who runs around quoting the law at people. You ever have people like that in your life? They're running around saying, well, you're not doing that. That's not right. That's not right. That's not right. That's not right. They're running around picking and, and they're very legalistic people. They always want to use the law continuously in their language and their, their verbiage all the time. They want to nitpick everything apart. And they use the law to do it. They, they're the type of people that love to quote the Bible. That's what Jezebels love to do. They love to quote the Bible. But, you know, they're not quoting the Bible for edification, for building up of the body. They're quoting the Bible so that they can rip and tear you apart. There's many a person out there that loves to give you verse after verse of verse of the Bible just so they can rip you apart. That's what a Jezebel does. When we want to read the Bible, hopefully we can say these are God's words. This edifies. I'm in the deepest, darkest pit of my life. And God spoke to me the word of God in my heart and it uplifted me and it changed my life. 
Thank you, God, for your words that just took care of me. Thank you, Jesus. That's God's word being effective and being used. And when we quote scripture, it says, Brother, I don't want to give you my authority. Here's God's authority. You know, no temptation is overtaking you, but as such is common to man. And God is faithful and will, you know, provide a way of escape for you. Somewhere along those lines. And you go, God, wow, that's so good that, you know, that scripture, it comes alive to me and I needed it. But then the Jezebels turn around and they want to rip and to attack and to tear and to take those things away from us. And it's amazing on how we, we as Christians, tolerate, tolerate Jezebels. Seems like there's always a few in every church. A few people that love to run around and just nitpick everything apart. And somehow or another, we we have a tendency to turn a deaf ear to that and say, well, you know, I guess they're right. Well, I know, I guess this is the way it should be. And we have a tendency to tolerate. When we, as a church, when we see someone misusing the law, for us as Christians, that should be one of the most heinous acts and it should be a grievance to us and that should be the person we want to jump up and down on and and beat on the one that's running around with the law ripping everybody else apart making that everyone else says you know i don't feel welcome in that church seems like i went there and and i and and i walked in that church and people just stared at me and they just looked at me up and down and they just gave me that look saying you don't belong here that's the spirit of a jezebel who wants people to feel uncomfortable and wants people to feel condemned. Now, we want to use the power of the Holy Spirit for conviction. If there's conviction, then there's got to be repentance. If there's repentance, then there's got to be everlasting life. And the world of difference is to sit down and say, you know, I want the Holy Spirit so that you come to a place in your life so that you understand, I need God in my life so much. And if you're at that place where you're there, then you're going to, you're going to find life and say, God, I need you. I need you like never before. I don't have to force you, uh, 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 oppress you to get you into that place. My job is to lift up Jesus Christ. And as you see the glories and the power of Jesus Christ, Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Our job is to say, look at Jesus. Look at the power of Jesus. We're going to know our weakness and therefore we're going to turn to the Lord. But a Jezebel becomes a very wicked person. Elijah hated her. He couldn't stand her. She was somebody, if you can recall, that when Elijah said, okay, we'll have the big showdown. You sacrifice your bull over here. I'll sacrifice my bull over there. The real God is going to turn around and, and call fire down from heaven. And, of course, you know, all the 400 prophets of Baal are jumping around trying to get fire to come down from heaven to consume this sacrifice, and nothing happens. Elijah just turns around and goes, God, right there. Bam! Explosion. Everything blows up and everything goes on. And when we watch Jezebel, she turned around and says, I don't care. I'll still kill you. I'll kill you. She didn't, she didn't even waver one bit at the power of God. She had pride. She was arrogant. She was insolent. And she uses people with someone else's authority other than her own. She uses a lackey, if you would. She's going to use just some worthless fellow as a pawn to do her dirty work. But God sees it and says, you're not going to get away with it. So it says, verse 15, And it came about when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, 
that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And it came about when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, Tishbite and saying, Arise. And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also take possession? And you will speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs shall lick up your blood, even yours. And Ahab said to Elijah, So now that he comes down, he meets, he says, Have you found me, O my enemy? as Ahab sitting there like a little boy with his hands caught in the cookie jar. says, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, Oh, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon you and will utterly sweep you away and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and because you have made Israel sin. And of Jezebel uh, also has the Lord spoken, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. So you want to have your little precious piece of property? Your blood's going to be there and dogs are going to eat you there. The one belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And the one who dies in the field, the birds of the heaven shall eat. And then it says, Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. And he acted uh, very abominable in following idols according to all that the Ammonites, uh, or sorry, Amorites had done who the Lord cast out before the sons of Israel. And it came about when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and fasted. And he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. So now he's crying and throwing another pity party. He's crying. He goes, this is a serious thing. The dogs are going to be licking up my blood. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbonite saying, do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Look at this. God's even gentle with him. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but I will bring the evil upon his house in his son's days. I love that. Here God is saying, look, this is as bad as it gets. I'm now giving you the, 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 <laughs> the facts of the case. You've, you've upset me. You've violated my law. And what is God saying? 
when you understand the truth of it, and if you're going to be broken, I'll show mercy to you. And here it is, as if you're going to continue to listen to Jezebel and how she's going to incite. You're going to sell yourself out by who you're listening to and who you're following. And it is a sad story where you're watching the king, who should be the leader of his household, being incited by his wife, who's going to push him over the edge. And he's no longer thinking for himself, but he's going to sit down and follow. And he thinks he could just take his little vineyard and get away with it. And God says, you're not going to get away with it. It's powerful teaching. It's powerful to see that uh, that the, the, this guy is somebody who sold himself out, and we think of ourselves as we're gonna as, as who we listen to is 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 how we're selling ourselves out. God gives us promises. God gives us an inheritance. If we trust in Him, we believe in Him. We have that inheritance. And we have to put all of our faith in God. And yet so many other people love to run around and pick, 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 use the law to rip us apart when the fact of the matter is they have no regard for the law themselves. I've had too many times in my life where I've, I've yielded myself to people that want to rip me apart and I live in fear of them. And I want to become a man pleaser and I don't want people to pick me apart anymore in my life. I don't want to see people run around and use scripture and throw it in my face. When someone comes at me and throws a scripture in my face, my first reaction is is like, gee, you're right, that's scripture. I, I recognize the authority of what you're saying. And we don't ever seem to think past that, which sometimes is good as a believer, that when you hear a scripture, you have a genuine sense of conviction to a point and the condemnation just creeps in and rips us to pieces. People come up and, and, and they've said things to me and I go, I want to make that right. I don't want someone to ever put me down. Nobody ever wants that. If somebody comes up and they start putting you down, uh, it's our reaction to sit down and to say, I, I, I want to make it right. I, I, I'll, I'll try harder. I'll be better. And what it should lead us to do is to call us to say, Lord, I need help. Lord, I need you to make me better. I need to be broken. I need to be, I need to, I need to get past what people have said as they rip and they pull and they tear things apart. I've had too many times in my ministry where I've wanted to quit the church. I've just had it. I've had two or three people that can pick and pick and pick and pick and pick. And I go, you're right. I'm not good enough. I I can't do anything. And then I recognize you say, well, you know what? That's the power of the gospel is that, you know, uh, forgive a Steve Taylor quote, right? Jesus is for losers, you know, and he's got this song. He says, Jesus is for losers. And you first hear that and you go, man, what a slam on Christians. You know, they're a bunch of losers. But he's saying, you're right. Jesus is for losers. You know, we're losers. We're, we're people that are burned out. Jesus is for me. He loves me. I, I'm somebody that needs Jesus. And, and, and the more I'm put down, the more I can be in a situation where I've had people just come at me and they're saying, Dave, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. And I go, I'm, I'm, I must not be cut out for the ministry because I'm not, I'm not good enough. And it's amazing. I've said that to people. 
it's a strange, strange statement. People go, you know, Pastor, you should be like this, 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 and this, and this. You know, if you were a man of God, and blah, 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 blah. And they say it with a smile on their face, and they're so nice, and they're so gentle, and they're just ripping you apart. And you know what I've learned to say? Ah, oh, you're right. You deserve a better pastor than me. That's what I tell people. You deserve a better pastor than me. That's a, that's a stagger. So people go, well, it's not what you're good enough for. It's the Lord. And, and it catches people off a of guard in a certain sense because you have to be able to say what makes you an effective Christian is that you're able to sit down and to admit that you're weak. And the more that you can confess your weaknesses, the stronger you are. And the stronger you think that you are, truly you're weaker in that area. That's the way the gospel works. The moment you think that you're right, you're wrong. The moment you think that you're wrong, you're right. And Jezebels want you to think that you have to be right and they always want to put you down and they're trying to steal your inheritance and say, well, if you were gooder, if you could just be better, if you had more worth, if you were worthy of the things that you're supposed to be as a Christian, you're supposed to be a better person than that. Now, we want to strive to live a holy life. We want to be the best person we can be for the Lord. There's no justification to say, well, then I'm just going to be a wicked person. That's, that's not even close to what I'm saying. I'm only talking about an instrument of somebody coming in and ripping you apart. And in Christianity, it says the lower you are, the more you can recognize your worthless condition, the more right you are in God's eyes. And so you want to say, just as Peter, as Peter was getting his feet washed, and Jesus says, you need me to clean you. And Peter says, I don't want you to clean me. And Jesus says, if you don't allow me to clean you, you have, I, I have no part in you. And Peter says, well, if that's the way it is, then wash all of me, Lord. Take all of me. Wash my whole body. I need to be cleansed. I need to be whole. I want everything for, you can have for me, Lord. And the Jezebel wants to rip and tear and pick and put everyone down and make you feel that you're not good enough to be here. Like wherever here is in, is our church, like there's supposed to be some special goody-two-shoe bunch of people here. Well, I'm sorry. This church is filled with nothing if, if hopefully it's filled with a bunch of wicked, evil, sinful people that are begging and groveling for God to show them mercy. There's no pecking order in our kingdom here. There's no I'm better than you mentality. And yet that mentality creeps into the church like gangrene. It rips apart people. And Jesus can look at the church of Thyatira and say, you know what? You're tolerating her. She runs around. She puts everybody down. And somehow or another, oh, we just turn our back to that. We tolerate it. We stomach it. We, we allow it to happen even though we don't like it. And I don't want to be the church of Thyatira. We want to be a church that's going to stand up for righteousness and say, you know what? You're, you're right. Uh, you deserve a better pastor than me. You, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And if you can have that mentality, then that deflects that whole thing. But here it is, that one little piece of property that, that, that she's trying to steal your inheritance, rob you of the things that you have, Let's read First uh, Peter chapter 1. Just a few other verses to back up what I'm saying. Uh, oh, 
let's just try First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercies has caused us to be born again to a living hope. See the future there? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved where? In heaven for you. I like that. We have a spot, an inheritance in heaven. God's given that to us. He's given that to us because we can be born again and we have a hope to the future. Good verse for us. Let's try Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, it's uh, the, the pastor can only know his Bible a little better. You'd have a good pastor. Ephesians 1, let's try with verse 11. It says, Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. To the end... It says that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him, not in yourselves, but in Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, that you were lost and a sinner and were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, it's based on your belief, not on your works, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Uh, this whole chapter is one long running sentence, but uh, it's a powerful thought if you can digest it. That we have an inheritance, it's based on believing in Him, and as we confess ourselves as sinner, that seals us because we receive the Holy Spirit And that Holy Spirit that now dwells inside of us helps us to see the future. It's a pledge towards the future of a kingdom of heaven. Amen? Revelation 21. Let's go to the end of the book. And I like this. I saw a new heaven... And a new earth, verse 1, chapter 21. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He shall dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be among them. And He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, 
these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. And he who overcomes shall what? Inherit these things. This is our inheritance. This new Jerusalem. This is our plot of ground for which we have. If we are able to what? Overcome. Overcome what? Overcome all the, the, the legalistic thinking in our life that would say that we're unworthy and want to separate us from God. While if we could overcome the Jezebels of this world, we could inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. And then we just have to love verse 8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, um, which the second, which is the second death. And I love that verse because it's mind boggling to me out of all that list. Look at those wicked people. Right, you got unbelieving abominables, you got murders, you got immoral persons, you got sorcerers, right? We know that they're gonna burn in the lake of fire. We got idolaters, they're gonna burn. We got liars, we all hate a liar, they're gonna burn. It says their part will be in that burns with fire and brimstone. But the number one thing on that list is a coward. A coward is the number one thing God throws into the lake of fire. A coward is someone who's going to hear the condemnation. They're going to be controlled by that condemnation. And they're going to be somebody who's going to become a worthless fellow that is going to succumb to that condemnation and be controlled by a Jezebel for all intents and purposes. While it takes faith in all that we have to hear the condemnation of the law you are a worthless piece of trash you're going to hear that and it's going to be a real man a strong woman of God that is going to have backbone into saying I know that I am worthless but God still loves me nevertheless And that's the hardest thing to overcome is your fears because when a Jezebel is ringing in you, it sounds so believable, doesn't it? I'm going to go to hell. I know it. I'm not good for anything. I know I'm just a son of Satan and I'm destined for wrath. I said I loved Jesus last Saturday and on Monday I turned around and I hated my brother. Look at me. It says you shouldn't hate your brother, and I do. And so it must not really be real inside of me. Have you ever spoken to anybody that said, oh, I can't go to heaven? I have. I've spoken to a lot of people. It says, yeah, let me tell you about the good news. You know that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that you can go to heaven if you believe in him? <laughs> That's not me, Pastor Dave. You don't know what I've done. I've done blah, 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 blah. God doesn't love people like me. No, the law says that you need to be just at that point 
where you can recognize that you're a sinner. And now, for people just like you, God wants to give you that promise of everlasting life. And you've got to trust and believe in Him and have faith in Him. And you cannot listen to that lie that says that God doesn't love you. And it's so easy to be a coward. It's so easy to run. It's so easy to sit down and say, Lord, I can't believe that promise. I can't believe you're really going to love me. I, I know that the Jezebels are out there and I just, I'll put up with it. I'll tolerate it because I just feel that I just need a few more whippings on me. And we take it. We put up with it. And God is trying to speak to us as promises. He's trying to give us a hope of everlasting life. And he's trying to say, you have an inheritance with me. That inheritance is based upon faith in me. And I've given it to you. Don't let anyone take it from you. Don't let them steal it from you. Because they'll come at you and they're using God's law to use you against you. I find it just, that's the tool of the enemy. And it's riddled throughout the pages of the Bible on how people want to steal that uh, which God has has planted with a hope to to have a a vineyard for for His growth, and 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 God says you, you're not going to steal and take possession. Uh, Satan can come up and rob us of our joy, but he's not going to take our inheritance from us. He's not going to get away with it. God's going to say, I'll put my foot down, and Ahab is going to die. He's going to die in battle. We're going to get to that next week. He's going to be dragged back home. The dogs are going to be licking up his blood in the street so that he thought was so precious. Jezebel is going to be dragged down the street and be ripped apart and killed. God sees all these things, and God says they're not going to get away with it. We can bear with us as we get through the text. We'll get in there, and you see that these people are not going to get away with what they're getting away with. So it gives us strength and hope and assurance. Amen? Questions, comments, criticisms? Would anybody criticize me after that sermon? <laughs> Boy, oh, he would. No. <laughs> you deserve a better pastor than me. <laughs> get out! That's a polite way of saying, get out. No, <laughs> no go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> We do thank you. We do praise you for being an awesome God. We pray that you just work in our lives, Father, and that we would serve and love and give. Father, forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for putting other people down. I pray that we would always lift up, Father. Father, I pray that if any of us here have had that spirit of a Jezebel, Father, where we put people down, that you would just forgive us for it. And Father, help us not to tolerate a misuse of your law but we would use it to set people free. Father, we just want to be doing the things that uh, your servants should be doing, and we want to give all the glory over to you. We ask all these things, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.